One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board certified physicians who can prescribe FDA approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Lizelle Wellbeing Show, the podcast that brings you your weekly dose of wellness wisdom that you can trust. And you know, my team and I always really love reading your comments. And so thank you as ever for all your feedback about the podcast and our accompanying articles. And interestingly, following our recent episode about IBS, Irritable Bowel Syndrome, with Dr. Lisa Das, we received this one from Min Katkins, who writes, Great podcast for me as a long-term IBS sufferer. I particularly enjoyed the bit that said, Enjoy moderate amounts of chocolate great advice winky face thank you very much men um yeah i re-listened to that podcast actually just the other day and i did smile at that bit of course lisa did point out it's dark chocolate that the gut likes low sugar high cocoa content lots of polyphenols so for me that's kind of like a 70 percent plus in terms of the labeling if you want to take that little bit of health advice and of course by leaving comments like that you can really help other people to find us too so they can benefit from the expert help they need really important when it comes to something like ibs now if you do want to get in touch you can find me on social media i'm at lizelle me or my team at liz well-being and please do leave us that all-important review on your podcast platform of choice if you get a moment. Well on to today's guest and on this episode we bring you joy and my goodness after the past couple of years couldn't we all do with a bit of that. I remember actually writing joy in the magazine as my word for the year. I think that might have been January 2020. Well that went well didn't it. Anyway today author and illustrator Laura Brand's new book The Joy Journal for grown-ups and it includes 50 fabulous homemade crafts to inspire creativity mindfulness and connection, all those important things, and invites us to experiment and play with a range of really simple ideas that can bring a little more calm and, of course, joy into our everyday lives. Laura is here to share the joy. Hi, how are you? Hi, Liz. Thank you. Thanks very much for having me today. Oh, I'm so looking forward to this. Joy is such a key word when it comes to well-being. So I'm really looking forward to your take on how we can all find a little bit more. But firstly, where do we find you today? Where Where is your joyful day happening? My joyful day is at home and I live in Oxfordshire, Buckinghamshire sort of border and um, quite near the river. So it's semi-rural, I would say. But yeah, that's where that's where I am today. And are you quite organised or do you have quite a chaotic life with, sounds like with all your lovely joyful projects, there might be a lot of, um, I don't know, probably not sticky back plastic, but whatever the modern day equivalent of that is around the place. Do you know what? Chaos, it's particularly chaotic today, actually. <laughs> so you're, you're quite you're quite right. Um, I came into one of the rooms yesterday and, and one of my daughters, who is Peggy, and she's four, and she had painted various different rocks with a lot, I would say, an abundance of acrylic paint, which was all over the floor and everything. So that's currently being cleaned up. Well, actually, I just cleaned it up before, but it's slightly stuck in the grout. So I've had that before when I wrote the my first book. So I thought those days were gone of the um, guinea pig experimentations with children. But no, I've got a lot of cats. I've got uh, 11 cats. I've got um, <gasps> two dogs and two children and a husband and uh, a lot of half-finished <sighs> art projects, Liz, to be honest. 
Amazing. Oh my goodness. I've just got two kittens. So I am in awe oh. of your, of your oh cat God. tendencies. Oh, and I, I love them and they are bringing us a lot of joy actually and, and energy around the place, creative energy and, and fun, happy vibes when they do crazy things. Do you know what? That's really lovely that you say that because last year, or yeah, last year, although the time disappears, doesn't it? Um, I was at a festival. I was about to say it was two years ago, but it was last year. Someone asked me, what gave me the most joy and at the time I said my kittens and so you're quite right they are sort of cute and funny and entertaining they're all the things that epitomize joy for me yeah brilliant well many of my listeners here might know you from your hugely successful first joy journal book which was the joy journal for magical everyday play and your joy journal website can you just remind us about that first book for those who haven't seen it Yes, of course. So prior to COVID and lockdown, I had in in fact been writing this sort of, I would say, a compendium of homemade craft ideas and activities to sort of bond over with my family members, specifically aimed at my two-year-old. And I had a newborn at the time as well. I wrote that over a couple of years and it was intended to be brought out in April 2020. And obviously, as we approached that time, it seemed, I mean, I, I had to go through a few times, you know, should I be bringing this out now? Should And actually, uh, we decided to go ahead. And I'm glad I did, because I believe it offered people, and I'm glad it offered people some kind of creative sanctuary, a little bit of embracing the mess and chaos, as we've discussed already, permission to play for families. And yes, it was a kids craft and playbook, really. And it came out right at the beginning of lockdown. So we went right into that time of being at home, finding ways to make with what we had. And the whole book was about that, really. So nostalgia, traditional play ideas, things you can make with kitchen cupboard essentials, things like that. And um, so it certainly had a different impact than I was intending. And I, I'm very, very grateful for it in, in that way. And it gave me a lot to focus on other than the other things going on in our life. So yes, that was the Joy Journal for Magical Everyday Play. And now you've got the Joy Journal for Grown Ups. Is this a straightforward follow up? Is it because we all kind of refound our joy, actually, maybe getting creative with kids during lockdown? Those of us who were involved in homeschooling, I'm not sure that joy is perhaps the first word that springs to mind, but no. certainly it was an opportunity to reconnect on a certain yes, level. Exactly. Do you know, um, it, the word opportunity is lovely because in a way that is what the second book was. It was to provide grown-ups an opportunity to try things as a beginner or potentially take something a bit further if they already have a skill set in a certain crafty or creative area. It was completely inspired by not only my own use of creative time as a form of my sort of self-care practice, but I would say majority influenced by the feedback I had from parents and caregivers of children about the first book. So a lot of what people were saying to me was, you know, yes, my two-year-old loved making squishy soap, but I, you know, the parent would say I enjoyed it as much, if not more, because it kind of tapped into nostalgia, like I said, but that, and I think that that sense of being invited into play and finding opportunities with your children was what I wanted to create with this book, but aimed at an older audience. Well, I was advised recently to spend more time on doing things for myself, a little bit of mindfulness, if you like. And I remember talking to the doctor who I was actually interviewing about this and said, yeah, but, you know, I, I do have lots of me time and I go out for supper with my girlfriends or, you know, I have friends around for drinks. or We meet over a cup of tea and she said, no, 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 that's not time for you. That's time very often when other people are saying, oh, my goodness, let me tell you about my day. And, you know, you might look, get their problems loaded onto you. She said, what I'm talking about is real switch off time where you don't actually use your brain to think. And she was suggesting things like colouring. And I know, I mean, it sounds a bit mad if you haven't seen them, but these adult colouring books. Yeah, and absolutely. There's a huge satisfaction actually in colouring in a, a really oh intricate uh, yeah. drawing that somebody's done. <laughs> 
well, once you start sort of working like that with your hands, you're really automatically, your, your brain goes into a different state. You're not thinking anymore. You're simply doing. And the feeling of that sort of colouring, the reason adult colouring books are so successful is because the same re- reason we like to doodle. Sometimes if you're on the phone or if you're I presume you're not doodling on a podcast because you're probably <laughs> looking at... No, no, I promise ways. I'm concentrating. <laughs> <laughs> but I would say like I'm always a step away from doodling, whatever I'm doing, if I'm on the phone or if I'm, you know, on a Zoom. or And I, I learned when I was at school, doodling helps you to take information in better because you're doing this sort of thing and it kind of, you process it in a slightly different way. And once I had that, I was uh, more art on, artwork on the folders was sort of um, abundant. But yeah, I would say, that me time things are really important um it's a reframing really we've always seen is me time getting a coffee like you've said or going you know and I do think we need to look at things differently and and can me time be something like starting something as a beginner and having a go and then discovering you either don't like it or you do like it and if you don't like it well I wouldn't say it was bad you know I wouldn't say it was time not well spent I would say you sort of learn more about yourself in those moments so like doodling and coloring and uh, working with your hands in a creative way mixing making cooking for a lot of people I personally feel those are the things that recharge me obviously unless it's cooking for my children in which case it's an absolute nightmare but (laughs) overall cooking and you know when you're just having a play around maybe making a soup something quite easy and something where you can kind of just do some chopping, put a podcast on, have a little bit of time, and then you have this nourishing meal after. I think um, that we can look at those as self-care practices. Definitely. We had Melissa Hemsley on recently just talking about that very thing. Yes, she was just, she was the person I was thinking of. Oh, I love her. Me too. Me too. Now you've talked before, Laura, about suffering from burnout and I'm interested to know whether that led to you doing more of this and also perhaps just to expand a bit on what burnout felt like and looked like for you and how how you recognised it. Well, I think it's happened, for me, it's happened a couple of times and the time that I'm talking, what I've talked about in relation to these books and discovering this creative path again for me was that I was I was working in um, a hospitality industry. So I was managing a restaurant and I was very, very, I worked a lot of late hours and I became, I started to hide, you know, where you hide, where you feel like, oh, I'd rather just not be facing people at the moment. And when you're in a job where you have to face people as you're just part of your job it's quite difficult so I feel like I didn't recognize early enough then that I was very very tired that I was probably becoming quite insecure in ways I'd say it kind of manifests in that way anyway for me where I start worrying I become anxious and really really tired so that really is it just so tired that not enough sleep will ever make you feel good And I just completely changed. That burnout led to me totally changing my life, actually. So I moved out of London. I um, trained, strangely, in um, massage therapy, which I don't really know where that came from, but I just really wanted to work with my... But I suppose, actually, talking of working with our hands, I wanted to do something that put me in the moment and in the present. And I think, for me, burnout takes me out of the present. It makes me very, very fearful and worrying about the past, worrying about the future, can't see anyone for fear that you're going to say something silly or whatever. And you just go into a little, like a kind of a hermitude, I suppose, and and not a good one. So I started to sort of work with my hands. I learned Indian head massage first, and then I trained as a massage therapist. And really not that I was even intending to do that, but I wanted to do something really where I could be like, a feeling of well-being for myself, a feeling of well-being for the person I was with. And actually, weirdly, that was the start of unlocking this sort of feeling of wanting to be more creative even. So working with my hands, then I got into sort of stitching and embroidery and getting back into creative stuff because I went to art school after school, I went to university to do art. I then just started to sort of unlock all these little closed kind of drawers that hadn't been touched for a while, you know? So, and that was sort of how I rediscovered my own sort of creative path. And it was at that time I became pregnant with my first daughter. And, you know, yeah, so that was the sort of, for me, it was about stopping. And in that case, turning the whole direction of my life. But other burnouts can really feel just like you need to do the thing we're saying, 
take time off and not time off socialising, but time off where maybe you do check in with a friend. Maybe you make a phone call to one person and you have a dedicated rapport with someone where you can really both share a sort of, well, ask for help as well. That was the thing. You know, when you're feeling like what can you do? And you sort of think, well, sometimes it's really hard to pick up the phone. But if you do sort of go, I, I feel like this, and this is how I feel. And I'd love to talk about that. You know, that's quite hard. And I'm learning to do that more so now. Yeah, well, the support network is so crucial. And your husband is the comedian and actor Russell Brand. And I know many of us will know him for his extraordinarily successful podcasts and YouTube channel. He's got quite a different persona perhaps in the media than you've talked about in the past because you said that he's incredibly supportive and I kind of kind of find it hard to imagine him with you know 12 cats and chickens and kids and creative play and messy space is, yeah is he very supportive of all this in in helping you to find your joy and, and kind of what does that mean as a family together I would say he was absolutely essential in it really because when we sort of discovered, we already knew each other. So when we then re sort of discovered each other in this part of our life and then moved to the countryside and we sort of, I would say he could see in me the things that I was not embracing and doing better than I could see in myself. And he, he was like, you know, always encouraging my little, you know, I'd mention something maybe like watercolour painting and then it would be like, right, why don't we, is there a way you can find a watercolour paint, you know, watercolour painting workshop locally to, because nice. we just moved to a new area. Mm. And actually I did, um, but I needed to be really sort of kind of coaxed into that stuff because I felt like I had a few years of kind of blockages and finding it hard to be a beginner in something. And so that help was essential for me and his guidance and his support. And how that is now is that we have a really, we balance each other out. He is obviously different to how he, uh, well, I, I, in a way, I mean, like, you know, we have a domestic, yes, we have I mean, a very you, sort you, of domestic you, life. You know, you're not going to be that full on all the time when you're no. not on camera necessarily. No, no. Exactly. Mm. No, but we have a very, we sort of balance it out perfectly. We have our roles that we play in terms of with the children. He's incredibly good at imaginative play and very, very <laughs> sort bet. of yeah. um, like, you know, he'll go into worlds with our children. He does story times made up stories everything's incredibly creative and imaginative and then I'm probably a bit more of the sort of right let's you know at bath time let's right brush teeth let's get into bed now it's past the you know time and then in in a way I come into my own in other areas I don't think we I talked about this around the first book but um Russell did not like you know some of the activities in the book like there was a moon sand activity which was basically flour and olive oil but once you mix it together it creates sort of a moldable sand but that wasn't his thing you know <laughs> that was sort of like a little bit you know he, he would rather be on the nature trail creating treasure hunts doing things where you're sort of out and about whereas I like the mixing and making so I'm sort of mud pie squishy soap moon sand and he's sort of adventure imagination and creative play so we really balance out well like that and I'm very grateful for that support because I I think it means so much to have somebody to be able to talk openly with and have a really good solid communication I think that's the key thing there you know so things with the children we talk it through events that are coming up we talk, you know he's incredibly supportive of when I go and do something he'll either ask should I come should I not sometimes I want him to come sometimes I don't it depends what sort of mood I'm in and whether I can hold the space for another person there and you know like it so well, I think such that, a big personality who's got a huge following you know that yeah, could, could potentially be a bit of a distraction for even just for people yeah, coming yeah. to see you Exactly. And and on a couple of occasions, maybe that's been overwhelming for me if I felt nervous or something. And sometimes it's been good. So it's quite hard to tell. Sort of. But recently, Melissa and I um, actually did a lovely interview together at a, a local, to me, a local pub. And um, it was, you know, maybe 100 people or so. And he came with the dog and it was lovely just at the back. And we knew we had friends there. It was just such a nice, that was the last sort of event I did. And it was so lovely. It was really nice. So I appreciate that support. And sometimes we discuss it as we go, let's say, and, and we try to support each other in the best way that we can. 
Mm. And it sounds as though he listens. And I think, uh, again, I was talking to another therapist, actually relationship therapist, not that long ago and saying that it's great to be able to talk things through, but to actually have active listening. So you are getting real feedback. You know, Russell obviously listened to you when you said something, you mentioned the word watercolour and then immediately it's great. So let's go find a class. Let's, you know, let's do something about it rather than just sort of be sitting nodding, go, oh, that's nice, dear. You know, yes, lovely. You know, moving on, you know that that person's not actually in the room with you. Oh, I know. I think that's so, so important. And I would say that actually one of the tendencies I have just speaking openly and honestly to you, Liz, is that when I'm anxious or if I'm stressed, I don't think I am an active listener. I think I go into a sort of state of um, almost numbness, just sort of I sort of like to cope. In order to cope, I just stick to what like the routine is and then you know that's the sort of thing and and my own sort of creative work and the book work and the talks I do and the people I meet really help me to (laughs) that help me with the active listening as well as within the marriage and with the children as well I think it's important to be an active listener with your children because if you hear your child say you know you're not hearing me you're not listening to me I worry you know that that could be in 15 years time you're hearing them say but you didn't listen to me you didn't hear me and so that actually that active listening is something I'm really at the moment really conscious of and really trying to work on for myself so that when I'm in burnout if it happens inevitably it will at points or if it's just like those those moments where there's just a lot of spinning plates that I don't drop into that state of you know disabled you know where you just sort of go uh, you know you're like you say you're hearing but you're not taking it on so I think it's really that active listening is a lovely reminder for all of us one of the therapies actually that I was taught or one of the tools for listening is if you're with somebody else, you know, friend or partner, whatever, and you set a stopwatch and one person talks for three minutes without the other person saying anything. And you think, oh, I can't do that. Yeah, three minutes, not long. You know, what is it? How many seconds is that? You know, but when you actually come to do it, it seems like an eternity because you just want to jump in and go, yeah, I know that happened to me or yes, gosh, do you know, do you really think so? So actively listening for three minutes and then you have to replay back what that person said to you. So, you know, you can't just kind of drift off and start thinking about your shopping list. You have to really be there with that person for those three minutes. It's an extraordinarily difficult thing to do, but really interesting. And of course you scale that back in real life, but you might actually say subconsciously, this person needs to talk. You know, I'm, I'm just going to give them a minute of active listening. I'm not going to interrupt it. And I am actually going to listen. And then I will start to repeat back what they've said. So it's a good reminder. <laughs> it reminds me also of like the thing we were just saying about being present and how being present and, and you going on the sort of the mindful journey. And actually a lot of the creativity and activities in this current book, just to bring it back onto that, because it's relevant, is that it's present, how to be present in something, you know, and notice how you're feeling. And I talk a lot about how certain creative things, like if things don't go well for us, and I'm talking about having done a lot of workshops and group work with people where we're doing crafts and arty sort of craftsy things, People are so self-critical and really want to give up the minute it starts not going right. And so sort of being present with the way it's making us feel, but also, you know, yes, allowing yourself to stop and pick it up later when you're in a better frame of mind, or perhaps using it as a way of embracing the thing you think you're not good at. So a really interesting example of this, and this is about, I suppose, like a presence with a group in a creative activity was that I I invited a group of ladies on Zoom, friends of mine, to do marbling. And I sent them all the um, tools. And actually, some of them are just, I would say they would deem themselves uncreative, but very creative, maybe in the way they dress or something like that. But I'd say like in this specific world of craft, not creative, that's how they would call themselves. I would say we're all creative, of course. But um, in this case, there was very many hurdles we had to get across in order for everybody to sort of feel comfortable marbling. So we do the marbling. And I'm sort of asking them just to be not worry about how it's going to look. So just have a little bit of just presence that we're joining in with a thing together. We're just enjoying each other's kind of company on Zoom. It was somebody's birthday. We had a few drinks. It was just a nice sort of lighthearted 
joyful sort of Zoom. This is when we could not meet up with each other. So I said, like, let's do the marbling. Now, I was a beginner to marbling as well. So it was like I was just sort of totally admitting this might not go right. I just want you to all be aware this might not go right. So let's just have fun with it and go into the child. Like, you know, I bet we didn't care about the end result when we were kids. So we're sort of swilling marbling ink around. And and during this period of time, everybody did something funny. Like one friend went off and Googled better marbling inks. One friend went and looked for what kind of paper should we be using? Were we doing it on the right paper? One other friend was worried she was going to get it on her clothes. And I just said to everybody at the end, because I think nobody liked their marbling. I just said, do you know what? Show the thing that you're least proud of so that we're all showing each other the thing we thought was a failure. Yeah, the worst bit. And they were all so unique and beautiful. And marbling allows that sort of little bit of, you know, they're not going to be the same and you're never going to know what they're going to look like. So it's the perfect example of just sort of being present in an activity and about how you feel and admitting like, I don't think I've done a very good job, but I'm going to show you anyway. And then you've got this sort of praise from people about something you didn't feel was good, but it's actually uniquely beautiful and, and colourful and I think that we managed to reframe these sort of disappointing marbling. We were making card note cards, actually. And I feel like after we ended up really having a laugh about it and kind of going, gosh, I thought mine was rubbish till I held it up and everybody said it was nice. And so sometimes you need a little bit of that sort of morale boost from the group. But it's a lot to do with that sort of amount of times you talk yourself out of something, like through doing something that you're not used to, you know. Mm. I've you just given me this bizarre urge to go and start looking up marbling and buying some papers and and inks because I I spend a bit of time in uh, Italy especially during the summer and they have all these amazing little craft shops and leather shops and and so often they're selling these beautiful marbled papers and as you say you can make them into note cards or wrapping paper or whatever and they're fiercely expensive but you know to be able to do that for yourself, you know, have the joy, coming back to that lovely word of creating it and then, you know, being able to translate it into something that's physically practical that you might otherwise be going out to buy. That totally ticks a lot of boxes for me. It does. And, and you know, even if you did it on a big piece of paper and 90% of the paper doesn't work how you want, you've still got a few lovely little note cards. A few gift, out of that. gift tags maybe yeah, on exactly. the corner. Gift that would be tags. me. Exactly. <laughs> With a whole bunch and a bit of twine. Yeah, that's perfect. I encourage you, Liz, to go and look into that. I think you might get really into it. Wonderful. Well, we're going to pause for a very quick ad break here. When we come back, we'll be talking more about how to unlock our creative potential through crafting, especially how we can get back into nature during the warmer weather now. Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board certified physicians who can prescribe FDA approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Why don't more infant formula companies use organic, grass-fed whole milk instead of skim? Why don't more infant formula companies use the latest breast milk science? Why don't more infant formula companies run their own clinical trials? Why don't more infant formula companies use more of the proteins found in breast milk? Why don't more infant formula companies have their own factories instead of outsourcing their manufacturing? We wondered the same thing. So we made Byheart a better formula for formula. Learn more at byheart.com. 
Well, welcome back, Laura. I'm so excited to talk to you because I know that you're going to give us so many ideas. I've already got marbling top of my list and marbling inks, etc. Before we move on to that, can I just ask you, you sound like an incredibly talented and creative person. Were you always creative as a child? Did people pick you out and go, oh my goodness, Laura, there, she's so brilliant. She's so creative. I would like to say that that was the case, but I I think probably I was never really held on a pedestal particularly, but I was very much encouraged. My parents were very, very, very supportive and encouraging with my arts and crafts. And often I feel like a lot of people, maybe family members and friends commissioned paintings from me. So I was always very pleased when I was about 12 to be painting a still life of some, I don't know what, wine and grapes, I believe I did. But yeah, I was always into whatever. So like, um, I was always into making cards for people. So I was always kind of creative in that sense of just, what have I got? What can I do? What do I need? So like, if I needed a card for someone, a cupboard would be full of scraps and bits, and I couldn't really throw anything away in case I needed to use it to cut out that shape and magazines always had a lot more potential for collage and my sister was very creative so I saw her doing that when she was sort of through school and decoupage which she used to do a lot sort of through the early 90s I've written about actually in this book as well because I would say it was sort of always those little things like bracelet making I was very into and I always tried to sort of turn it into a business So I would sort of like, you know, again, quite young, but like be making bracelets and thinking of the ways I could do the labels and the packaging. And, you know, so I like the sort of the whole experience of the creativity, as well as the, the nature aspect, of course, like getting outside. I was always making stuff outside, making things in nature, very much a sort of explorative and curious child. But yes, I loved it. And I loved the art room. I loved being in the art room. It was almost a completely different world for me from the rest of the school where I struggled with some of the academic subjects. I enjoyed school on the whole, but the art room for me was a sanctuary. Yeah, I know you were labelled as dyslexic at about 13. Is that right? So I guess it would have been a bit of a refuge from that. It was. And I I remember feeling it felt like a very new word. And I don't think I'd really heard it that much, you know, and then suddenly it was sort of like at 13, I was told that I had like the reading and writing of a 17 year old and the maths and number skills of sort of six plus or something crazy like that. So I felt it was quite difficult to sort of work out where I should be channeling my energy because I I hated maths and I found it difficult. And I think I put a few subjects into that bracket because I I did sort of maybe take that label and think I'm just dyslexic. So therefore I can't do these things. And even if I've been told my reading and writing is good, I I still am going to just be creative. And in a way, it certainly did offer me that the art room and the teachers as well. I had such lovely, lovely teachers very free spirited, I'd say very joyful, the most colourful dresses in the school, for sure, the art teachers. I felt peaceful there. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You say that it's a peaceful space and, and learning to do all these extraordinary creative things. As an adult, it sounds as though you've continued your learning journey, if you like. You talk about learning massage and Reiki to help with burnout. You learned hypnobirthing with your first daughter. Is there always something new for you? Do you want to sort of expand your mind continually? I do, actually. I really love learning. I really love it now. I think what it is, is, you know, when you just think and you watch someone doing something and you just think, oh, I would never be able to do that. And then you think, well, hold on a minute, maybe I could do that. Who knows? It feels like a real act of self-love to learn because what it feels like is you're giving yourself the opportunity, that word again, which I think is a good word, the opportunity to to expand or to try and learn and see if that's something you want to explore more. I think I learn naturally learn through my children all the time. I would say learning in nature has mostly come from my children. And then I've sort of expanded and gone beyond that by meeting amazing people in that world of trees, plants, nature therapy, bushcraft, for you know, forest school. And I like to ask a lot of questions. And so, yes, I think you're right. I hope that I never stop having this sort of thirst for learning. I'm planning and I have been planning for a while to do my forest leader training, actually, not for any particular reason other than that I want to learn more about running forest schools and teaching children about the world of nature and in turn adults. So that's something that's currently on the sort of in the pipelines when I can find the time. 
I love that. My kids have had very happy days in summer camps spent in forests away from screens, you know, building dens, you know, looking at pond life and, and just getting totally absorbed in that and, you know, how to light fires. And it's just such a great way to bond. And I think that the summer is, is a wonderful time to be doing that. Looking at the book, it is completely gorgeous uh, because it's a real step-by-step guide to this. So you talk about learning, but whether you're a newbie like me or a really experienced crafter, it, it looks as though you've sort of put something in there for everybody to have a go at. I have, yeah. And I really, really wanted it to feel timeless rather than just trying to sort of hit on maybe fads or things we can, you know, there's a reason, I suppose the way I broke it up was that I wanted it to feel like somebody could pick it up and go, right, what is this? Oh, right. There's an invitation into nature, right? Let's have a look at that. Now, what that is, is a whole chapter of ways that you can sort of take yourself off outside and pick something to do in nature from starting a nature journal, which any of us can do, and I would encourage to do, to more like, you know, painted pebbles. So something that's much more of a you know, it takes a little bit of organisation, but not much, but something you could do with a group of friends or something you could do when you're on a holiday, even if you have minimal, you know, you can just have minimal materials. I wanted it to feel with each chapter, it was an invitation, you know, to the self, into nature and uh, ways to celebrate and make your own sort of uh, home decorations for things like we've learned to have birthdays at home now, haven't we, when we couldn't see people. So how to do things yourself, really. Invitations to gift people, make your own gifts. And then the final chapter is an invitation to gather. So that's ways you can gather together, be creative. And I hope there's things that will make people go, oh, gosh, I've not done that for years. I haven't done tie-dye or I haven't really worked with clay before. I'd like to give that a go. And then a couple of sustainable ideas like beeswax food wraps, how you can make your own beeswax food wraps. There is a variety of things in there. I would say they can all be beginner level with the right attitude. Like Anyone can try any of them. But if you have a particular experience in one, you can take a lot of them further. And I do write about that. I say, you know, I'm not an expert in candle making. There are many people that could teach you how to do cold press candles. This is just an introduction and a way of going, gosh, in that time where I had half an hour to myself, I made four jam jar candles and I'm very happy with them and now I'm going to give them to a friend you know like that sort of thing lovely Yeah, really lovely. I, I love the party decorations. Actually, I think we you know we've hopefully you know realised that we can gather and have more parties, and particularly in, you know in the UK where we had the jubilee celebrations, and, and you know in some areas I think the, the flags and the bunting are still up because everybody loves that sense of joyfulness that's still there. And you've got ideas for making things like paper flowers and um, party crackers and fruit decorations and. It's just such a lot of fun, actually. And, you know, coming back to that word joy, joyful to make, but also joyful in the anticipation of how they're going to be enjoyed in themselves. Yes, exactly. Thank you. Thank you for saying that. And yes, I I hope also a lot of these things can sort of be kept and wheeled out year after year. Our homemade bunting that we made for one birthday about three years ago still gets used for every single birthday. It was just a happy birthday. It was a non-stitch bunting. That's not in the book, but that sort of idea of making something and then storing it in the birthday box and bringing out the next birthday. When you've made them yourself, I think there's a feeling of well, a joy. There's a feeling of joy, but there's also this sort of real sense of, well, you could feel like you could pass it on to your children. And there's this sort of feeling that you can, you can share that experience again and again and feel kind of pleased and in a nice way, in a comforting way, every time you see that coming out of the box at a birthday. So yes, I think the decor, actually the celebrate section was one of my favorites as well. And it's something I always encourage my children to do, you know, make make decorations be part of it be part of the event exactly Mm. I love the memories too I love the fact that you've got that bunting that you know comes out year after year because that is will become such an imprinted memory happy memory of lovely times joyful times and my my mum is very crafty in the crafting sense and loves quilting And she's also, you know, made a lot of clothes over her time, dressmaking. She used to make my dresses and things when I was little. And her quilts are just a reflection of all those, all those scraps of fabric. And when I look at a quilt, you know, in the guest bedroom, if I stay with them, I'm instantly reminded of, oh, that's a bit of curtain fabric that I remember being in, you know, a sitting room when we lived in this place years ago and instant visual reminders 
And she always had a lot of pleasure from making it. And I, I think it'll become, you know, a family heirloom that you pass down. And I, I need to share it with my children, actually, and tell them that that bit of fabric was, you know, granny's dressing gown. And I remember sitting on her knee when she was wearing a skirt made of that. <laughs> it's, it's a lovely connection, isn't it, special? It's a lovely, lovely, lovely thing to share with your family. And I love hearing about it. That actually sort of makes, you know, when, when I see or hear about quilting, I always think it would be such a lovely thing to do. I might have to, t- that might be my next learning experience, actually. Yeah, well, I, I live in the West Country, not that far from Bath, and there's an American museum there. And the Americans seem to be big quilters. And there are some fantastic displays. So if you want to get some inspiration, if you're in that neck of the woods, I can recommend it. I would love that. (laughs) I would love that. I like the things that are are traditional. So I like the things. So when you learn about a skill, like when you get to see the craft in all its glory and things like quilting is such a lovely example, but there's also obviously knitting and crocheting and uh, embroidery really came into its own in the last few years, but was always being done. I mean, in the sense of like Women's Institute would always meet and there would be embroidery circles and there would be all this stuff going on all the time. And the more that we, I suppose we, you know, I think it all just sort of comes back round again. And obviously there's that lovely kind of consistency where you can then visit the real tradition, the people who are experts in it. And there's always such lovely stories, stories about how people got into it, stories about the way that they meet. A local craft club invited me to talk about the book. And um, I didn't even know this craft club existed in my like local town, but it's about 40 women. And um, they all pick and choose when they want to meet up. Like they can just join in. There's no, str- it's like no strings attached. And they all take their own, thing that they're working on and a lot of them said the reason they do it sometimes it's to sort of learn a new thing if somebody else is doing something that they've never experienced before but most of it is just that time where they've gone on a Wednesday at seven o'clock craft group meet and I can join or I don't have to but I know it's there and it sort of encourages it encourages people to gather and craft together and I think that the impact of that on people's mental well-being is enormous Oh, on so many levels, from a bit of mindfulness to companionship to even I can imagine being able to talk about potentially difficult issues because you're not in a sort of a therapy session. You're you're occupied, your eyes are down looking at whatever you're doing, you're not making eye contact unless you want to, which perhaps gives you a bit more freedom to talk about difficult things. I think so. I I think so. And I think it's like, it's that same thing we discussed at the beginning of our lovely conversations about working with our hands and and allowing the space in our mind to be slightly different, you know, that we're not being so super analytical, you know, so we're not being self-critical. We're sort of working with our hands, we're present, and then inevitably flow happens. So flow of conversation, flow of the feeling of relaxation, flow of creativity Flow is a great word. And it sounds to me as if flow is perhaps one of your key words for life. Would you think so? I think so. I would love to, I would love to say that flow is, is something that I hope I will always work on as well. So when things are flowing, so for example, when you open up the sort of part of yourself to allow flow, so allow the day to take its, now obviously not in some cases we can't do this. We can't just always go, oh, well, the flow is taking me towards, you know, going and doing this all day or whatever, you know. But when we allow ourselves to just drop into a slightly different, more relaxed way of being, um, you'll notice things that just carry you slightly more easily. We sometimes do it with our children on the school run where we'll go, there are two ways we can go to the school. We'll go, you know, left or right, which way would you like to go? You know, it's funny, we'll say, well, let's go right. And then let's just sort of like let that all unfold. And that's the sort of flow of that journey is that we made a decision to sort of go a different way. And and then you see things that are lovely, you notice a new tree, you see somebody walking past that you recognize that you know, and you wave them out the window, you know, sometimes I'm talking about that flow. And sometimes I'm talking about and and working on my own mind, the feeling of like, when you get into something, and there's a rhythm that just carries you and that rhythm, like in a creative project is that you accept everything that's happening. So if you make a mistake, you go with the mistake. And it feels like in the end, you just feel like you're creating something on a rhythm rather than on a sort of feeling of like friction and I want it to be a certain way. And and so creative flow is a really interesting thing. And I really, really love exploring that. And then I like to explore it in my own life as well. 
Mm. You've made me rethink that whole expression, go with the flow. Because it's, it is that relaxation. Yeah, guys, just let's, let's just go with the flow. You know, it's a really positive way actually to, to look at life from a creative point of view. It is. And it's sort of become something I think that people can think is slightly sort of like, you know, maybe it's like hippie or, you know, that you don't really care about how things are, but that's the opposite. It, it, mm. What it is, is it's trust. Yeah, it's actually see. trust. Mm-hmm. It's tr- having trust. Mm. Now, we love practical advice on this podcast. And so without giving too much away, of course, from the book, for those who are heading off for the summer, maybe they're on holidays at the moment or planning one for the future. Are there simple things that we could do perhaps while away from home and we might not have access to all those, you know, egg boxes and cut up bits of washing up liquid bottles or whatever it is that we might need for, for, for some kind of crafting? Are there things that you're looking forward to doing perhaps when you're away from it all? Well, I think with anything, I've always been somebody who collects things, trinkets and things in nature. And I like to just bring it to nature just as we go on to this question, because nature offers us so much. And wherever we are, we can connect with the place and space that we're kind of inhabiting for that time. There might be some herbs, say using the example of Italy, where you said you you go to, there'll be herbs that grow there, there'll be scents and smells and and essences around you and ways that you can sort of explore the the landscape. Perhaps you might get a couple of sprigs of rosemary and then think, well, what am I going to do with this rosemary? And then you could kind of think, well, what you could do is, for example, create a little natural, a nature hanging or something where you have just a little bit of string and a twig and, and you put some bits of rosemary or lavender or whatever it is that's growing around you on that. And then it becomes like a sort of a beautiful, aromatic and sort of sensory display, like things like that, where you don't need anything other than, you know, you can just keep that the same reason you could make a like a a potpourri is a bit of an old-fashioned word but the idea of that yeah a scented bowl we'd probably want to to modernize the terminology a bit let's say scented scented bowl (laughs) is much much better or you know using the rosemary in a lovely foot bath with just some lovely warm water and giving allowing yourself a moment where you're connecting with your surroundings you're having a moment of downtime so it's not always about sort of painting and even using clay which I would say clay would be my favorite medium and I mostly mm-hmm. take it everywhere I go. but <laughs> I would say like it, it all it is is it's about creative thinking where you are and this is I'm sure that it's something you do a lot is thinking about the the scents and smells and how to kind of create something that's almost like a self-care moment you know so yeah like a handball with rose petals or a foot like I said a football with rosemary or some you know cut up some slices of lemon and add them in as well and basically I'm just thinking of being creative where you are with the things you have so that's really I think that's the important thing and you can take that further of course if you know I did a camper van festival earlier not long ago and I said you know if you take some clay with you just a little bit of air dry clay you'll find that this will be a fireside ritual you'll make things you'll make little pots you can do it with the family you can do it with your your partner and sort of like uh, it dries while you're there you can paint it if you want to or not it's just something you can take with you and make and be present with and sort of have fun I love with that I'm about. actually going to take that away with me I might have a youngster in the family with ADHD who loves to fiddle oh. And have something yes. on the go all the time and, and get quite absorbed in something. I hadn't actually thought about clay. Do you know what? You can literally buy just a block of, cl- a block of clay and all you'll need to do while you're away, especially if you're somewhere warm, is keep it in a, in a closed box or wrapped in something so it doesn't actually. Think. And I think that might be the key to some of your shared moments with your family. I'm so excited. I'm so looking forward to that. And your best top tip. I like I like the idea of using clay somewhere on holiday or with yes. your children and being in sort of a different environment Time out. and having this. bit bit more yeah, relaxed, exactly. a bit bit more different, and they might be perhaps a bit more open to it rather than kind of do some eye rolling, which is what I'm slightly anticipating. They might be a bit more up for it. I'll give it a go. Get through the eye rolling, and on the other side of that is joy. Oh, wonderful, fantastic! I love that. And lastly, your best top tip would you say for those? who are listening for finding a bit of calm amongst the chaos? I mean, dare we say it, a bit of joy? 
I would say a mindful moment outdoors, wherever you are, if you're in a city or if you're in countryside, if you're on a beach, if you're on a walk, if you're in in the office, step outside or even open a window. And I would say you ground yourself, put your feet on the ground. And at the beginning of my book, there's actually a breathing technique that I adapted from hypnobirthing. And what I would say is just be in the moment in whatever natural surrounding you're in and notice some things you have never seen before. So it could be a little flower growing through the crack of a pavement. It could be uh, that you're looking outside the window and you notice a sort of tones in terms of the colours that you've never seen before. I would say just be present in nature and allow yourself that mindful moment to notice something new. Love it. Love it. Laura, it's been an absolute joy, in capital letters. Where can we find out more about you and about the Joy Journal books? Instagram is my main sort of place, I would say, at the Joy Journal. So find me on Instagram and that's where I put all my upcoming workshops. I've got some events coming up the end of August through September and October and taking a little time off in between then. Absolutely brilliant. Look forward to meeting you in real life at one of those one of those events. I'll bring my little block of clay with me in my bag, knowing that there'll be some in yours as well. (laughs) Thank you so much for being with us. Thank you, Laura. Thank you so much, Liz. Thank you very much. Right. Well, that is it for today. I am off to add those items to my to-do list. I think marbling resources and packs of clay will be going into my suitcase. Well, thank you very much for listening. As always, you will find more information with the links and resources that Laura talked about over on lizarwellbeing.com. There you can sign up for the free weekly newsletter filled with plenty of tips for living well and creating more joy. And of course, for more advice, research, articles, recipes, and some craft ideas, actually, there is our bi-monthly magazine, lizarwellbeing.com, not available in any store. You do have to subscribe, so head over to the website to see the latest deals. Well, I'll be back next Friday with another dose of wellness wisdom you can trust. Until then, go well. Bye-bye. The Lizelle Wellbeing Show is presented by me, Lizelle, and is a Fresh Air production, with thanks to my producers, Ellie Smith, Chesie Bent, and Sarah Moore. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Why don't more infant formula companies use organic, grass-fed whole milk instead of skim? Why don't more infant formula companies use the latest breast milk science? Why don't more infant formula companies run their own clinical trials? Why don't more infant formula companies use more of the proteins found in breast milk? Why don't more infant formula companies have their own factories instead of outsourcing their manufacturing? We wondered the same thing. So we made Byheart a better formula for formula. Learn more at byheart.com.